Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello there, Cove Church. As always, it is so great to be with you, uh, especially here online. We do have in-person services, but we know many of you are still joining us online and and just so grateful. Uh, You are so much a part of this community. We're so glad that you're connected to us in this way and just uh, enjoy this thing that God allows us to do, that every week we get to connect through this vehicle. So, so grateful for you uh, as we today continue, really finish out our series that we've called Begin, some of those formational truths of what it means to follow Jesus. And we'll start today with this idea. I I think the great challenge for those who follow Jesus is to move beyond what I say about myself to what Jesus says about me. To move from what I know to what Jesus knows. From what I've done to what Jesus has done. Because so often I think this is where we get greatly mistaken. Jesus wants to actually speak truth to the lies that we have often believed about ourselves. And it's easy to get stuck in those lies, isn't it? Our world is constantly promoting values that have nothing to do with God's values. Our world view that is seen over and over is nothing to do with God's world. Yet still, we're told by all those places, this is who you are. This is who you should be. These are the rules that you're supposed to play by. And often what that results in is either living with a pride for what we accomplished or a shame for what we didn't accomplish. And none of that is a reflection of God's desire for us. So as we conclude our series today, we're going to look at the foundational truth that God is always trying to transform our character, changing both who we are and who we can be. To see this, I want to draw our attention to three different people, all of them who encountered Jesus and were invited to begin this journey of relationship with him. And my hope is that as each of us look at these stories, that we'll be able to find ourselves in those stories and ultimately allow God to speak to our story. So the first thing I'll point out is this. Jesus wants to speak to our values. Mark 10, 13 is where we begin. Right where you are, let's read it together. Big voices, go. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. You know, years ago, Pastor Brandon and Pastor Paula and Pastor Joe and myself were down at a conference in Southern California. It's a beautiful place, really nice hotel, awesome pool. We were actually having breakfast out by this pool on this bluebird, sunny Southern California day. It was so cool. 
And so we're having breakfast, enjoying the time together. And we look over and at a table really close to us is none other than Evander Holyfield, the great heavyweight champion. He's just like right there. We're like, I can't believe that's totally him. There he is. And we're like looking at his ear. Yep, that's him. That's the guy. If you remember, he fought Mike Tyson and he gave him a real earful. So the, there he is. He's just sitting right there. We're like, this is, this is amazing. He's, he's having breakfast. And now we're from the Northwest, right? So we don't ever see celebrities. So we're having this conversation. You know, do we talk to him? Do we not talk to him? Do you think we could get a picture with him? That'd be so great if we could get a picture with him. But I don't want to bother him. And went through this whole thing. And finally, we decided we're going to risk it. We're going to go get a picture with Evander. And so basically we decide failure is not an option. We'll never get a chance like this. But we wanted to be careful because we know he could, he could crush us if he wanted to. And so we kind of slid over there. And the conversation was basically this. Hey, champ, you mind if we get a picture with you? And, and I don't know that, that, that the answer he gave us was, was a no. But it certainly wasn't a resounding yes. And it ended up with the result was this amazing picture that you'll now see. This is us with our new best friend, Evander Holyfield. And you can tell by looking at the picture that he was somewhat less than thrilled to be there. Now, I don't blame Evander. He was trying to have breakfast. We probably should have left him alone. But as you can tell by the picture, it was not an open arms kind of welcome. <laughs> it is a picture of what it looks like when someone puts up with you. Now, I want you to compare that image to the image of Jesus in this passage, the response of Jesus in this passage. Jesus, as we know at this time, is, is a celebrity. You know, he's, he's moving through towns and everybody's excited and they want to see him. And parents with children are trying to get to him so he can bless their kids. And the disciples are like, hey, folks, you know this is an important guy. This is a big time celebrity. This is the Messiah after all. And your kids are sticky and we don't know where they've been and they just don't look great. And so if you can keep your distance, that would be terrific. Yet what does Jesus do? He corrects the disciples. He rebukes them. Let the children come to me. What Jesus does is so much more than just kind of this let's get this picture over with kind of moment. So much more than just putting up with them. So much more than just a, a quick celebrity photo op. No, in fact, he turns the whole thing upside down. He speaks value over the lives of these children, a value that was not being realized up to this point. See, where others saw a problem, Jesus saw a prize. Where others saw an interruption, Jesus saw an invitation and an inspiration. Saying to every person, you see these kids, be like them. Come to God like this. And in that moment, he infuses value. He reveals God's criteria for estimating our worth. He's telling these children and all of us that our value does not come from what we do. It comes from what God says. It's not about our work. It's about God's words. And God says, you don't earn this relationship, you receive it. It's like when we're raising our kids. What do we tell them when they receive 
a gift from another person. We tell them, what do you say? Say thank you, right? That's what we train them. What, what do you say when you get the gift? Say thank you. And we train them up to do this. But grown-ups, something happens. What, what do we do as grown-ups when you receive a gift? What do we say? What do I owe you? We kind of grow out of that. Oh, what do I owe you? No wonder it's possible that we grown-ups start to think that our value is somehow tied to what we can do, what we can pay. And Jesus is challenging that by elevating these kids, saying, follow me like this. Come to God like this. I mean, think, think for a moment about how a parent relates to a child. No mom holding their infant goes, yeah, you're cute, but I really wish you were pulling your weight around here. No. What dad goes to a toddler, you know, if you could rewire the electrical panel, then you'd have my acceptance. What parent goes to a nine-year-old and says, you know, you're a decent gamer, but you're really not much of a brain surgeon. So, sorry, you don't have my affection. No, in children... Value is imputed not on the basis of what they do, but simply on the basis of who they are. You are my child, and as such, you are loved, you are worthy, you are valued. And Scripture reveals to us that we are called the children of God. So it seems... It would be important for us to learn to give up earning our way to God, earning our value, and instead learning to simply receive our value as a child, to receive a gift and say thank you. So the starting point in relationship with God is not this thing we can often think that, that somehow God's disappointed in us and I got to do better or that God's angry with us so I better turn it around or that God is just, just so irritated because he's once again has to clean up our mess. That's not the starting point with God. No, the starting point with God is that God wants you close to him and God doesn't want anyone or anything to keep you from him. That's what he's saying here. And in that invitation... We see the value that God places on the life of every person. And it has nothing to do with your ability. There's nothing we can do to add or to take away from that truth. These kids, we know they didn't have it all together. They hadn't done anything but be kids. In fact, this says they were brought to Jesus. They didn't even get there on their own power. They didn't skateboard over there. They didn't ride a camel there. No, what did they have to offer? They're just kids being held by their parents, brought to Jesus. What could they do? Play peekaboo, drool, poop? Those were their options. Not a lot of contribution. They, they, they weren't a help to society. They certainly were not captains of industry, model citizens. But Jesus says, this is the model for kingdom citizens. Why? Because God's kingdom is experienced through dependence, not independence. Through what God offers, not what we have to offer. The kids here, they had one card to play. Jesus, I need you. That's it. 
These children knew that they didn't earn their place with Jesus. They simply accepted that Jesus had given that place to them. The question is, can we do the same? Can we come to Jesus like that? Because Jesus comes today and offers that place to you. Not because you earned it, you earned it but because he gives it. And it's in that moment that Jesus speaks once again to your value. See, if you've ever struggled with your sense of self-worth, here today is the good news. God calls you close because he longs to be in relationship with you. You're not God's problem. You're God's prize. So allow Jesus to speak that value into your life today. That's the first thing. The second thing is that Jesus wants to speak to our ownership. Here's the second person we encounter him in Mark 10, verses 17 through 22. Let's read this together. Big voices go. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, shall not give false testimony, shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus is talking to this guy who genuinely just wanted to figure this God stuff out. And he asked the big question, right? What must I do? to have eternal life? What must I do to, to, to be in eternity with you? <clears throat> and when Jesus heard this sincere question, it says he looked at him and loved him. Didn't, doesn't say he looked at him with annoyance. Doesn't say he looked at him and was offended. How dare you ask me that question? He looked at him and loved him right in the middle of his question. Do you know that Jesus loves you right in the middle of your questions? Like the child that, that asked her mom how old she was. And mom said, well, honey, I'm, I'm 38. I'm 38 years old. And the child thought for a moment and said, is that the last number? <laughs> but even with questions like that, right, we don't get mad at our kids because to a parent, there is room for every question because a child is simply looking to understand, looking to grow. And every question that we ask of God, it has that same dynamic. Jesus isn't bothered by our questions, but he will always look to the motive behind our questions. See, often people would ask Jesus questions, not because they were hungry to know more, but it was because they wanted to trap him in his response. But Jesus knew that this man came with a different motive, that he really wanted to know the answer, not just trap the teacher. 
See, we can ask Jesus questions without questioning Jesus. It's a different heart. We can bring real questions to Jesus, honest questions, those nagging doubts, and none of that is out of bounds. In fact, Jesus looks at us amidst those sincere questions, and it says here, he loves us, questions and all. In this passage, Jesus then does what this man, what Jesus wants to do with each of us, if we would let him. He first acknowledges his effort. Hey, good job. You're trying to be good. Hey, nice work. You know, you showed me what you can do. And then he shows him what he can't do. What he was, as of that moment, unwilling to do. What he needed God to help him do. And he points that out. For this guy, it was his wealth, his stuff. He says, you got to let go of that. Now, that's not so foreign to us in our world that, that a person can get trapped there amidst wealth, get very comfortable in what a person has. And it's easy to think that that must be what life is all about. In fact, I'm sure when others looked at this particular man, they saw an owner, right? They saw an influencer. They saw somebody who was in control. But Jesus saw one who was owned, one who was being influenced, one who was being controlled. He was owned by his wealth, owned by his comfort, owned by his success. And this is the problem with those things that take up residence in our lives. We think we own them, but they actually own us. This can be true of wealth. It can also be true of, of anger or, or of fear or unforgiveness or that need to feel successful or that need to be needed. We think those things are all in our control. But actually, the reverse is true. That which we think we own can easily end up owning us. And the problem with that is that the course of my life is actually determined by the ownership of my life. So Jesus' promise to each of us is this. Anything you give to me will no longer be able to own you. You don't have to be controlled by fear or greed or doubt or unforgiveness. You can give it all over. In fact, you can give me your very life. And in doing so, you can finally be free. But that, friend, requires trust. You know, um, there's a, a very old and seldom used trail across Nevada's Amargosa Desert, and uh, it's in that desolate landscape that that water obviously is rarely found. So they actually put in place one of those hand-cranked water pumps for travelers who are walking that trail uh, to assist them, to aid them, to get them water on their journey. And to that handle of that hand-pumped uh, hand-pumped water supply, there hung this this baking powder can with a note in it. And if you were to open it up and read the note, it read like this. It said, this pump is all right as of 1932, June 1932. It says, I put a new sucker washer into it and it ought to last for five years. 
but the washer dries out and the pump has to be primed. Under the white rock, I buried a bottle of water out of the sun and cork end up. There's enough water there to prime the pump, but not if you drink any of it first. Pour about one fourth and let it soak to wet the leather. Then pour the rest in medium fast and pump like crazy. You will get water. The well has never run dry, so have faith. And when you get all the water you can drink and all the water you can carry, fill the bottle and put it back like you found it for the next person to come along. Signed, Desert Pete. Here's the truth. The only way to get the water you needed was to give away the only water you had. That is kingdom life that I gain by laying it down, that I find by losing it, that I shift the ownership of all that I am and all that I have, I shift it back to God, knowing that it's only in trusting God fully that I can find living water. We often long to be in control to act like we own ourselves. But Jesus invites us to trust him with the ownership of our very lives. And in doing so, Jesus can speak to our ownership. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. Jesus wants to speak to our identity. Mark 10, 46 is where we pick this up. Third person here. It says, then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man. Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This man they encounter in Jericho um, was in every way a fixture to that town. He was known to those in town by that name, right? In, in fact, other translations literally call him blind Bartimaeus. That's how he was known. This was this identity. This was what he was known as to others, to himself. In fact, it was all he had known himself to be as he had undoubtedly heard that name spoken towards him every day of his life. Oh, that guy, that's just blind Bartimaeus. He's, he's always here, don't mind him. Oh, isn't it so sad, blind Bartimaeus? Yeah, he's begging, he does that every day. That was his label. The question is, was it God's label? For many of us, we've been labeled lots of different things in our lives by people. For some, you were labeled the quiet one. 
Others you were labeled the, the mean boss. Still others, the control freak or the mother bear, the, the disconnected dad, the fair weather friend. Still others, you were told you're smart, but you're really not that cool. Or maybe you were told you're cool, but you're not that smart. Some were told you're difficult, others you're easy. Some have been called materialistic, others hyper-spiritual. Some have been called too high-strung, others you're just too easy-going. Some have been labeled judgmental, others labeled soft on sin. To one they said, you're fun, but you're shallow. To another, you're deep, but you're boring. You got the cool kid, and the nerd kid, and the smart kid, and the new kid, and the one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. Will we stop to make a new wish? To move past the labels, past the clamor, and listen to what God would say about us. Because without God's voice, after a while, we actually start to believe what we've been called. If we hear it enough, we say, well, that, that must be who I am. And certainly Bartimaeus, he could have said the same. That must be who I am. I've heard it every day. And yet when Jesus showed up, he refused to only be the product of what others believed about him or even the product of what he believed about himself. Somehow, in the presence of Jesus, he was inspired to believe what God said. We know this to be true because Jesus asked, hey, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, I want to see. I've always been this, but because it's you, Jesus, I don't have to be this anymore. Yeah, I have been blind, Bartimaeus, up to this moment. It's how everyone knows me. It's how I know myself. But I want to be who you say I am. Let me see. And some of us, we need to ask Jesus the same thing today. For Bartimaeus, his eyes were open. And not only did he see the world for the first time, he saw himself for the first time because of this truth. My identity is not found in what the world has said. My identity is found in what Jesus is saying right now. It's time we hear what Jesus says about us. It's time we find out who God says we are. Here Jesus comes to a man who has been labeled his entire life and in six words, that label becomes unusable. It becomes irrelevant. It becomes silly. He's not blind anymore. Can't call him that. I'm not sure what they did call him after that. Maybe they call him Christ follower Bartimaeus or bouncing Bartimaeus or breakdancing Bartimaeus. I'm not sure what it was, but I know one name they couldn't call him anymore. They couldn't call him blind Bartimaeus because of six words from Jesus. Go, your faith has healed you. And if six words from Jesus could do that for Bartimaeus, what can the words of Jesus do for you? The thousands of words in Scripture, the thousands of promises, 
What could those words do for you? I know that the world is trying to tell us who it thinks we are, but it's time we find our identity in who Jesus knows we are. And that is found one way, faith that we start to find our identity, not in what we hear all around us, but in what God says, in what God declares, in trusting his name above every name, including the names that the world has tried to give us. Whatever label you've been given, whatever label you've given yourself, could you stop? Could you today reach out to Jesus in faith, saying, tell me who I am and I will trust you to help me walk with you to become that. I love that this man Bartimaeus, he didn't just get his miracle and disappear. No, he received his sight and he followed Jesus. He walked with Jesus. Could we do the same? Because Jesus wants to speak to our identity. I'll wrap up with this. In my life, like many of you, I spent a lot of time writing emails and communicating through the written vehicle, which means I'm always having to determine how to sign off on those communications, right? Like what's the appropriate way to sign off from this letter or this email? You know, sometimes it, you gotta go with the really formal weighty stuff. You know, it's a government thing or something. You gotta really, really put it in there. So for me, it's something like, hey, sincerely, His Holiness, Reverend Pastor Aaron Sutherland, CEO of Cove Church, you know, something big like that. To the less formal, yours and him, Pastor Aaron Sutherland. To the even more common, which is, much love, Aaron. Lots of handles, lots of closings, expressing many types of relationships. Yet my favorite closing of all can only be given to three people, Ethan, Riley, Isaac. It's two words, love, dad. Every communication that God gives us is signed that way. Love, Dad. That's how God wants to know you. That's the relationship God offers. That's God's word to you. In the words of Christ, we discover who we are and whose we are. This defines our character. The question then is, will we believe God? Will we begin to allow God to say who we are? That God would speak to our value and our ownership and our identity, because if God can speak to those places, we can be healed. Each of us can begin today. We can literally take Jesus at his word. And if we would, we will watch Jesus transform us from the inside out as we listen to what God says over every other voice, giving each of us today a new beginning and a place to start. 
God builds our character through our trust in his work, not a reliance on our own work, which means regarding our character, that each of us today has a place to begin. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.